With Hashem's assistance, we are learning Babakama Daf Yud Aleph, page 11. We begin on the last line of Daf Yud on Mabez, page 10b. We're speaking about the concept of Pchas Nevela. Pchas Nevela means that from the time that the animal got killed until the time that there's Hamada Bedin, when they go to court, and the court decides uh, how much the person has to pay. So there's a, there's a certain amount of value that the animal goes down in value. The dead carcass goes down in value. So who loses that value? So we said that is the nafkamina, whether we say that it goes to the rishus of the nizik or goes to the rishus of the mazik. Whether it goes into the person, if it stays by the person who got damaged, or the animal is considered that it belongs to the mazik, the person who caused the damage. So what happens? So if we say, which is what we do say, that it goes to the, to the nizak, the person who got damaged, so when it goes down in value from that original time until the time when the court decides, so that loss of value is the Nizak's problem, the person who got damaged. So now, the Gemara says, let us say that this actually is an, um, an argument between Tanoim. The Tanya, because we learned in Abraisa, if it will be uh, killed, if your animal is killed, meaning a person is watching an animal and it got killed by some kind of onus, that's a simple understanding of the verse, so then you have to bring a witness. So according to the Tanakama, what does it mean in the verse when it says you bring a witness? It means you bring witnesses that say that in fact it was done by accident. And that's why upater, you're going to be uh, not culpable. You're not going to have to pay. That actually what you do is you bring the eduda. Rashi explains means the the dead body, the carcass. You bring it to the bezdin, and then they are going to evaluate what the value is. My love, Balkamifligi. So let's say that the argument between Avishol is as follows. The Marsover, Pchas Navela de Nizak, that one holds that the, the value that it's gone down from the time that it originally was killed until now, until it's come to the court. So that is the problem of the damage G, the person who got damaged. Umar Savar the Mazakavi. And the other one holds that it actually is a problem of the one who caused the damage. So Rashi explains how this works out because why is Abishol saying that you have to bring the dead carcass to the Bezdin to figure out how much it's worth? So it can't be, it can't be we're f- trying to figure out how much it's worth now, how much the value is after the court case, but rather we're trying to figure out how much it was worth when the animal was originally killed. Because to tell you that we try to figure out how much it's worth now, the Torah wouldn't need to tell us that. Obviously, if it belonged to the Mazak, if that's, if that's the, the Psak, according to Abishol, that it belongs to the mazik and you evaluate how much it's worth now. The Torah doesn't need to tell us that we bring it to Bezin. Obviously, if it belongs to the mazik, the person who caused the damage, so he can give him whatever he wants, and he can certainly give him this, this animal, and you would have to evaluate how much it's worth. Rather, it's coming to tell you that you figure out how much it was worth when it was originally killed. The only reason that we would have to figure that out is because it remains in the in the ownership of the nizak, of the person who got damaged. So therefore, if Abishol is the one who's saying that it belongs to the nizak, and he learns it out from this first, from the fact that it says aid, the word aid, he understands, I mean, aiduda, you bring the dead body. So if that's the case, so then the Tanakhama would hold that no, they use the verse to tell you just simple pshat, what it says, that you have to bring a witness that says that, that we're not talking about a case where, where there was some kind of damage that was that would create an achrais responsibility on the person who caused the damage, but rather we're talking about an onus. You bring a witness to prove that there was an onus, that it was completely, there was no negligence involved. So being that, the Tanakhama holds that way, so it would be clear that they hold that you don't bring the animal, the carcass, to figure out how much it was worth at the time of death, and therefore, according to the Tanakhama, in fact, the animal belongs to the mazik, the one who caused the damage. So that's what the Gemara tries to say that perhaps that is what they're arguing about. So Gemara says, no, that's not true. The Kuli Amadin is like everyone agrees that in fact the animal belongs to the person who got damaged, and he's the one who has to deal with the problems. If it goes down in value, it's his problem. They're arguing about who has to be involved in taking the animal, bringing it to court. 
So, in other words, the Tanakhama holds that you do not have to be involved. The person who caused the damage does not have to be involved and bring it to the court. Whereas Abishol holds, no, he does have to be involved and bring it to the court. Vahatanya, and we have a Brisa that shows this way similarly. Acher others say, How do we know that there is an obligation on the person who owns the pit to be able to take the animal that got killed inside of the pit, take it out? He's the one who has to deal with that. That's why the verse says, So he has to give money to the owners and the dead carcass, meaning it's his responsibility to deal with the dead carcass. And therefore, Abishol also says that way, and Abishol will be like a cherem in the Tanakhama, the first time will argue on that. This effort that has to be expended in regards to the carcass, what is the case? If, when it's inside of the pit on the bottom, so it has a value of one Zeus, and if you bring it out and it's on the edge of the pit, meaning it's already taken out of the pit, it's worth four. So actually, the Torah wouldn't actually have to tell us that the person who caused the damage would have to take it out because obviously he's doing it to save himself money because if he leaves it on the bottom and the court evaluates it, so he's going to have to pay more. And if he takes it out, so then he's saving himself those extra three Zuzim. So the Torah wouldn't have to tell us that on Marley, so he responded and said, We do need it. That on the bottom of the pit, it's worth one Zeus, and on if you take it out of the pit, it's also worth one Zeus. So Gemara says, Wait, is there such a case? Meaning, the fact is that there is effort that needs to be expended that has value. And the Gemara says, No, it's not true. In fact, we do find that there is a case where it doesn't have any extra value despite the fact that it has to be brought from one place to another. A beam, a piece of wood that's in the city, it's worth a zoos, and if the piece of wood is in the field, it's also worth a zoos, meaning there are certain circumstances, it seems, where the effort that's expended is not, doesn't have any value, and it would be the same exact price whether the item was easily accessible or whether it took a little bit more effort. Amar Shmuel, Shmuel says, Ain Shaman that Shmuel says that we do not make any kind of evaluation for a ganav and a gaza, meaning if a ganav, a person steals something, so he goes and something happens, the, the thing that he's stolen has gone down in value while it was in his possession. So we don't say, okay, we're going to evaluate how much the thing has gone down in value, and then when the ganav, the person who stole it, is reimbursing the person, he just makes up the difference. No, we say the ganav, the person who stole it, has to give back the, uh, the a replacement for the original object. And it's not enough for him to give back the original object, even though, and, and the fact that it's gone down in value, replacing the reimbursing the amount that it's gone down in value. El the Nezakin, however, the place that we do do that, that we do evaluate uh, what the thing is worth now, and then he reimburses the rest, is only in regards to Nezakin to damages. Va'ani Oimer, and Shmuel says, I say, that the same thing would be true in regards to someone who borrows. And uh, Abba, and Rashi says here, this is referring to Rav, he agrees to me on this. So Nagmar asks, What did Shmuel mean when he said that it's also true in regards to someone who borrows? That also in the case where someone borrows it, so we evaluate it like nizakin, like damages, we try to figure out how much it's worth now, and then he reimburses in the rest, and that's the case that Rav said that he agrees. Or maybe this is what he means. That Shoel, that a person who borrows is actually like a Ghanav or a Ghazan, when it goes down in value, it's gone down in value in his resource and his possession, and therefore he has to reimburse the person as he has to give him a brand new thing. He has to give him back the full thing. He can't give him what's gone down in value and then re- reimburse the rest. And in that case, Rav agrees to me. So what's, which, is, which is going to be the understanding? What's the halacha in regards to a shoel? A person who borrows, does he have to reimburse 
meaning he just completes the value and he gives back the original object, or no, does he have to give him a brand new object of the same value as the original thing? Toshima, we bring a Brutahu Gavra, there was a certain guy, the Shol Narga Mikhabre, that he borrowed an axe from his friend. Tavra, and he broke it. Rav, he came in front of Rav, Amarlay, and Rav said to him, Zil Shlimle Narga Ma'alyo, you should go and pay him a brand, give, give him back a brand new axe. Shmamino, ain't Shaman. So from there we see that when someone borrows something, he has to make sure to give him back the original thing. If it's gone down in value, we don't, uh, evaluate what it's worth now, and then reimburse the rest. Sigmar says, "Wait, Adarava, exactly the opposite." Me, Amri le Rav Kahana, Rav Asi le Rav Dinahachi. From the fact that Rav Kahana and Rav Asi both expressed to Rav their surprise when he said the halacha this way, and they said, "Is this the halacha?" Vishasik. And when Rav heard this, he was quiet. Shmami, you know, we can deduce from there, Shaman, that in fact we do evaluate when it comes to somebody who borrowed it. So Rav went back on his original statement based on the statements of Rav Kahana and Rav Asi, and he said that in fact we do evaluate how much it's worth now, and he has to only. Bimashle has to complete the value. So therefore we see that Shoel, person who borrows, is in fact like Nezakin, like someone who caused damages. Itmar, we have a statement. Amar Ula, Amar Belazar. Ula said in the name of Belazar. Shaman Laganav Lagazlan. He held that in fact we do evaluate if a person stole something and it's gone down in value, he gives back the original object and he only has to be Mashle, has to complete the value that's, that it's gone down in value. Rapapi Amar ain't Shaman. Rapapi says, like we said earlier, that we do not evaluate what it's worth now and he does not complete the value but rather we give him the, the guy who has to pay the person who still has to pay the full value give him a brand new thing the halacha is that we do not evaluate in regards to a ganav person who steals but a shoel like we said before uh, we will evaluate it's going to be like somebody caused damage person who borrowed like Ravun and Ravasi said now the Gemara continues to say other statements that Ula said in the name of Rabbi once we said one let's say a woman miscarries heaven forbid and part of the placenta and the, the liquid that's inside comes out on the first day and part of it comes out on the second day so when it comes to how we count she has to count a certain amount of unclean days after she gives birth so it's considered that she gave birth we count from the first day it's considered that she gave birth on the first day. Rabbi says to him, what's, what's your understanding? Why do you hold this way? Why do you pine this way? You're going, you're trying to say an astringency. Actually, there's a stringency here because you're making her count from the first day to say that she's tummy, she's impure in regards to her husband. She can't touch her husband. So it's going to end up being a, a leniency in the end. Because she has to count a certain amount of days. So she counts on the first days. She's going to end up that she's going to become permitted earlier. And in fact, Act, we have to be worried about the second day as well. Alam Rav, so Rav says, no. In regards to being worried, so we are worried. However, we don't count from that day, meaning we're worried that she, perhaps she's impure now and she can't touch her husband. However, in regards to counting, we wait till the second day to start the counting. We count from the second day. What is this coming to teach us? That you can't have a case where some of the placenta, the liquid that's inside the placenta comes out. There must be some kind of fetus. Even if you don't see it, there must be some kind of the fetus, perhaps, as Rashi says, it, get, it melted inside, even if you don't see it. Is that what it's coming to teach us? Tanina, we already learned this in a Mishnah. If you have, we're talking about here an animal, and you want to know, you shechted an animal, you slaughtered an animal, and before you slaughtered it, so the placenta of the animal came out, it was a woman animal, a female animal, and so part of it came out. Asur so you can't eat the shilya, the placenta that came out before, whereas if it came out afterwards, after the slaughtering happened, so it was permitted to eat. Simen vlad bi'isha, simen the the placenta coming out is a sign that there was a fetus inside of it, just like by a woman. It's also true in regards to an animal. So now we see from this mission already that in fact, when you have a placenta coming out and there's liquid coming out, that there's no such thing as having a placenta coming out without any kind of fetus. 
And just like Ula's statement in the name of Belazar, we're talking about where part of it came out the first day and part of the second day. In this case as well, you see that part of it came out, and we see that there's a chashash. We assume that since it came out already, the fetus already came out, and therefore you can't you can't eat it in this case. So it seems that the mission is saying the same exact thing as Ulus said in the name of Belazar. So we don't need Ula's statement. So the Gemara says, If we will learn that from our Mishnah Havamina, I would have thought as follows. We turn to the Yudal from a base. The Yesh makes a shli Vlad. That you could think that the Mishnah, when it says the halacha, it's not saying it because of what we think that uh, you can't have a small amount of the placenta coming out without any kind of fetus. It could be, I'll tell you that really, when small comes, when a small amount comes out, we don't assume that there is a fetus inside of it. So why is it forbidden? Ugzera We have Ugzera, a decree that because of part of it, because of all of it. What does that mean? So Tosas explains like this. If let's say you have a small amount of the placenta coming out, minhadin from the Torah, so if only a small amount came out, we do not assume in the Havamina, we don't assume that in fact the head or a major part of the fetus came out along with that uh, placenta, the, the liquid from inside the placenta. We don't assume that. And therefore, really, Be'etzem uh, from Midoraisa, it should be permitted to eat after you slaughter the animal. It should be permitted to eat whatever was left inside because most of the fetus was still inside. And Therefore, that part is considered kosher. However, we're afraid that if we allow you to eat it in that case, so in a different case, let's say where most of it came out before you did the slaughtering, and a little piece, let's say a little part of that fetus was still inside, the fetus of that animal was still inside of the animal when you slaughtered it. So there the halach is that you are not permitted to eat it since most of it came out already. So the the slaughtering of the animal will not permit whatever's left inside of the placenta that's remained inside until after the slaughtering happened. So we're afraid that you're going to think that it's okay. Because why? Because you see that when a little bit of it comes out, whatever's left inside is okay. So you might think that even when a lot of it comes out, whatever's left inside is also okay. And that's how we would explain the Mishnah. And it would have nothing to do with the fact that once a little bit of it comes out, it's considered that uh, we, we assume for sure that there could be that it contains most of the fetus, which is how we were understanding it until now. Kamash Malon, that's why Ula has to come along in the name of Rebbe and say that no, that when a little bit of it comes out, we assume that most of the fetus actually melted, so to speak, into the into the liquid that came out along with this small amount of the placenta. And therefore we can assume that in fact, no, that that is the problem. That's why it applies by a woman as well, that both by a woman and by an animal, both of them, a small amount comes out. Comes out. We have to assume whether we're talking about la halacha, we're talking about in regards to eating what's left inside, or whether we're talking about la halacha, whether she has to count her days, her days of impurity and be forbidden to her husband. Both of those cases, the halacha, the ramification will apply to both. Another statement of Ula in the name of Rabbi Let's see if a firstborn child, a firstborn son, and his son got killed by a wild animal, let's say, within the 30 days of his life. So the lach is that you do not have to do pity ben. Normally, you have to redeem the firstborn if it lives to be 30 days old, so you have to redeem it, unless if it dies on its own within 30 days, so it wasn't considered that it was living at all. But here, the child, heaven forbid, got killed on his, by, an, by an outside source, it got killed by an animal, and therefore we can assume that it would have lived to the 30th day. So we would have thought that in such a case, you would have a chiv, you would have an obligation to still redeem that child even after it's gotten killed. So comes along Ula in the name of Rabbi and says, No. And similarly, we have a b'raisa that was stated by Rabbi Rachama from the fact that it says, that you shall certainly go and redeem your firstborn. You might think that even if the child got killed within the first 30 days of its life, that's what the verse says, it says, 
sifte, which means, however, you shall certainly go and redeem your firstborn. So what is the word ach to? Ach cholak. The word ach, however, comes to exclude things. So it's going to exclude this case. Another statement Ula said in the name of Belazar, Behemagasa If you have an animal, a fat animal, a large animal like a cow or an ox, so you can acquire it by pulling it. The Gemara says, Wait, we said in the Mishnah, that the way that you acquire is not by pulling it, but actually by giving it over one person to the other. So he says like the following Brisa, the Tani we learned in Brisa. That both of them are actually acquired by pulling. Rabshiman says that both of them are are acquired with raising. Another thing that Ula said in the name of Rabbi Lazar, if you have brothers who are splitting up the inheritance, the clothes that they're wearing, which they got from their father, so that's split up. They have to evaluate how much each of their clothing is worth, and they split up the value, or they split up the clothing. However, the clothing that's upon their, their children, so they don't split up, and Rashi explains it because the reason is because the children, it's an embarrassment for them to come. The parents are already there, meaning the children of the father are there, but the grandchildren, it's an embarrassment for them to come. Times says Rabbi that we don't even evaluate that which is upon one of the brothers. Mishkachasla, how do we find it? The oldest of the brothers, the Nichaluhu Dilishtamun Mile, that they're fine with the fact that all of them have spent money, so to speak, on the brother, this oldest brother having nice clothing, because for him to have nice clothing, then people will listen to him and their needs will be taken care of. So that's why they're happy to have him have these clothing and they don't have to evaluate how much they're worth and split it up. Ula said another thing in the name of Rabbi Lazar. If let's say one person who's supposed to watch it gives it over to someone else to watch and then something happens and the item gets damaged, so the first Shomer, the original person who's watching it, does not have any negligence. He's not going to be obligated in the damages. And not only, if let's say someone who was not getting paid to watch it, who gave it over to somebody who's going to get paid for watching it, who actually made it a better Shemira, a better watching. Even somebody who's getting paid to watch it, who gave it to someone else who's going to not get paid, which doesn't have the same mischavis and the same obligations, the hashiguri garlish that he actually went and he made the, the shmir worse, the watching is worse, nami pater, the first guy is still not obligated, because he gave it over to someone who has knowledge and awareness, and therefore there's not going to be an obligation according to Ula in the name of Rabbi Lazar. Rav Amaravi says, however, a person who's one, one person who's guarding is supposed to watch it, who gives it over to someone else to watch, the original guy does have an obligation, and not only if a person who has had a greater level, a uh, person who's getting paid to watch, who gave it up to someone who's not getting paid, the Guru Yagar Lishmirase, who actually lowered the level of the watching, and Lafilu Shamechinum Shamasul Shamasach, even someone who's not getting paid, who gave it up to someone who is getting paid, Chayev. There's still going to be an obligation for the, the original person to pay. The Amar because he's going to say to him, meaning the person who originally gave it to him to watch, I trusted you, because I trust you that you will swear to me and, I, and that you're going to not swear falsely. I don't trust this guy, the guy that you gave it to. And therefore, the first one has the obligation. If the responsibility still rests on his shoulders. Here we have another statement of Ula in the name of Rabbi That if someone owes someone else money, so the person who's owed money can come and collect even from a slave, meaning he can take the slave in place of the money that he's owed. Did Rabbi Lazar say this halacha, this law, even in regards to the Yisomim? Let's say a person passes away who owes the money, and his kids now own that slave. So do they have to give up the slave if the person who's owed money comes along and wants to collect from the slave? So 
Ula said, mine. So no, this is only from him himself, from the guy who originally borrowed the money, not from his kids. So when we say that uh, you can take from him, does that mean that the Balchov, the person who's owed the money, can even take from his shirt, that's on his shoulders? So the Gemara says, no, or Ula answers, what are we talking about over here? The reason that he's allowed to take from this slave is because when they originally lent the money, so they, they said, this is where you're going to be able to collect from, from this slave. That's where you're going to be able to collect from. And therefore, even from the Asomim, even from the inheritors, even if he dies and his kids take over, so they still have to give it from the slave. The the person who borrowed the money can collect his money from the slave. Like Rav says, Rav says, let's say a person made his slave to be the place where it's going to be collected from the, the, the loan. And then he went and he sold that slave. So the person who originally lent the money has the ability to collect from the slave even though it's been sold off. Let's say you made an ox to be the place where it's going to be collected from. And then he went and he sold it. So the Bachov does not have the right, the person who's owed the money does not have the right to take that shore, that ox, away from the person who bought it. My time. And what's the difference? Because when a person makes a slave to be the Apoitiki, to be the place to collect from, so then everyone knows about that. That's something that, it's a rumor that spreads fast. And therefore, when the person buys it, so he has to be aware of the fact that he might lose it. However, in regards to an ox, so that's not an information if you make that ox into an apotheca place to collect from, people don't know that. That's not a rumor that spreads. And therefore, so the person who buys it may not know about that. And therefore, the person who is owed the money may not take it from him. We go to the top of your basement. I'll we'll read another two lines. The boss of the Nafak, after of Nachman left Amar lehu Ula, so Ula said to those who were present, Hachi Amar Rabbi Lazar, that Rabbi Lazar said like this, Afilu miyasmi, that even if you hadn't made an apoitiki, you can even collect this from the inheritors, and Rashi explains because an eved, uh, a slave is considered like mark, uh, karka, it's considered like land, and therefore the land you're allowed to collect from, you're also allowed to collect from an eved. With Hashem's help, we'll come back to this story in the next daily daf.